Let's pray. Jesus, thank you again that we can gather together to worship you, the freedom that we have, which we do not take for granted, and thank you that we can join together uh, with brothers and sisters in faith to celebrate you, Lord, and to be encouraged and challenged by your word. We ask that you'd open our hearts to receive today. In your name, amen. Amen. We're in our third Sunday, I think it's the third, yeah, in our series through parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. On the way through Samaria, Jesus tells a few uh, key parables, and this one is dropped sort of right in the middle here. It, it, the, the action shifts away after this parable, and we don't even get a follow-up message on the parable. And it's kind of a bizarre parable, and so I'm, you know, we'll, we'll look at it here together. Before we jump into the parable itself, I, I asked if Rob could start at the beginning of chapter 13, because it kind of sets up the context. What's happening is the disciples with Jesus are on the road, and they're talking, it seems, about kind of the latest tragedy in the news. And I don't know if, if uh, you've ever experienced this, but I have. When you get together with folks, sometimes you start talking about the latest thing that's gone on, good or bad, something you've heard, something that you want that person's opinion on, perhaps, or you avoid the topic, maybe because you know it's dangerous ground. We're just not going to go there, right? But there's some present who start to talk to Jesus about this incident. And we don't really know a lot of details of this incident. There's not a lot of other sources to go to, but we don't really need a whole lot of detail because Jesus makes a, a really clear point from the incident. And the incident is this. Clearly, Pilate, who's in Roman leadership over uh, Judea at the time, had done something with some Galileans. It seems that he had killed some of them, while they were trying to offer sacrifices. That's what's assumed this is about. And the disciples and the crowds seem to have this idea. This idea that this tragedy befell these Galileans. They were killed. It was awful. Well, maybe they just weren't good people and they had it coming. Right? Maybe, maybe, maybe they deserved it. And that can be a popular opinion, right? When tragedies happen in life or natural disasters happen or, or a country invades another country, sometimes we can go, well, maybe that's a result of something. Maybe there's a, a divine kind of retribution at work there. Maybe, maybe that person got what was coming to them because of their own sin. Or they were kind of a bad person anyway. Maybe they deserved it, right? Almost a sort of, a sort of karma, Sort of, well, maybe that was coming. They get what they deserve for their own evil. And Jesus turns around in verse 2, and notice what he says. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And Jesus, as we have so often seen through the series and so often in the Bible, generally, Jesus just cuts right to the heart of the matter. And in verse 3, he says, no. These people didn't get what was coming to them. It wasn't because they were worse off that this tragedy happened. No. But then he says this, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. They didn't die because they were worse and you were better. However, all people need to repent of sin because someday all of us are going to die. 
And then to make the point further, Jesus uses another example. Look at verse 4. He refers to this incident where a tower fell and killed 18 people, which is awful. Like, that's a tragedy, right? That's terrible. What was it? Was that an accident? Was there a failure in the engineering? Was there too many people partying on the top floor? You know, like, what happened? We don't know. Was it some kind of divine judgment? Were those people worse somehow and God was punishing them? Did they have it coming? And Jesus says, no, verse 5, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish as well. What's Jesus doing? It's easy to try to find meaning in the tragedies that happen in life, isn't it? We want to try and justify why a thing happens or maybe why it doesn't happen. And sometimes we want to ascribe guilt to a certain party, right? It's their fault that this thing occurred, whatever that might be. A sort of justice for personal sin. And we can kind of go through life wanting to sort of have things line up that way for us. That person's getting what they deserve. They're a bad person. They were a worse offender. At least that's what it seems the disciples were doing. And Jesus very very specifically says, no, this isn't about figuring out who's worse or better than you. In fact, he kind of resists that whole line of thinking altogether. It reminds me of something that happens in John chapter 9. In John 9 verse 2, Jesus and the disciples meet up with this man who's blind, and the disciples ask Jesus, why is this guy blind? Why has this tragedy occurred, right? Something's wrong in the world. Why is that? And they ask, is it because he sinned? Or is it like because his parents sinned and it's like punishment for something that happened? Right? And Jesus essentially says, well, you've got, no, you've got the whole thing backwards. This isn't about who sinned. This isn't about a sort of divine retribution. Yes, he's blind, but God will use that blindness to reveal his glory. And there's something greater going on here that you don't understand. And as that story plays out, we begin to see God's purposes in that uh, situation, that moment that's difficult. So this isn't about looking at others and kind of going, well, that one's worse than me and this one's better than me and and that happened because they said that. And I know they've got that secret thing in their life that they're not telling anyone. And, and good on them, right? They're getting what they deserve. This isn't about karma. This is about applying a general warning that the tragic events in our lives, and indeed sickness in our lives, and the passing away of loved ones in our lives, which happens, Jesus points to that and, and uses it to, to remind the disciples and to remind us today, to remind us at some point you're going to die too. You're going to die too. And there will be a, a final judgment for people. And so rather than spending your life comparing people, who's better than me, who's worse than me, keeping score in some sense, Jesus says, hey, you all need to realize we're, we're all sinful. You need to repent and turn away from your sins and come to God for forgiveness and salvation and life. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, it says elsewhere in the Bible. And so to illustrate that point, Jesus tells this third parable of why we need to repent. 
And the parable is the manure parable, the manure story. I told Rowan uh, this week, I said, I get to, like, Jesus told a story about poop. He was laying in bed. He said, tell me a story. I said, well, one time Jesus told a story about poop. He said, really? I said, yes. And then I got it, you know, I told him the, the Nicholas version, you know, the paraphrased on the spot version of this parable. And I said, and then it just ends like that. He goes, what <laughs> kind of an ending is that? Then I got to unpack it a little bit with him. So what's going on here in the, the manure parable, right? There's a guy who's planted a vineyard and he comes looking for fruit on the fig tree and finds none. And he says to the guy who's looking after the vine dresser, he says, for three years now, I've been coming and seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I don't find any, so we should just cut this down. Why should it use up space? Elsewhere in the Bible, we talked about this when we went through Mark, uh, fig tree can represent Israel. And there's a part where Jesus comes to the fig tree outside Jerusalem, and it has no, no fruit, right? And it's indicative of the fact that Israel itself has not borne fruit as the people of God as it should have. And Jesus speaks judgment into that. And so this fig tree is like a picture of Israel planted. God has planted his people, but they have not been fruitful in living for God. And the three years signify that there's been time for Israel to repent. God's given them time to confess their sins, to live for him, to turn away from evil. Yet instead of just destroying this tree for not bearing fruit, the vine dresser says, hey, let's leave it. Let's leave it for one more year. Let's give it one more year. I'll dig around it. I'll put on some manure. And if it bears fruit next year, brilliant. We'll keep the thing. And if it doesn't, let's cut it down. So what's going on? Jesus says, all need to repent or we'll surely perish. And Israel's been given here an extended opportunity to repent, an additional time of grace for them to bear fruit, to turn to God. But it's not an indefinite amount of time. It's an extended, but it's limited amount of time. I remember my first semester in college, I got really sick. Right around Thanksgiving, I had to get extensions on all of my assignments. Now, it wasn't a, an extension forever, right? It, it, there was still a specific, I had to get the, I still had to get the work done by the end of the semester, but my due dates got moved back. I had an extended time to do what was required to meet the requirements before the end of the semester. And in this sense, Israel is granted an extension also. And the extension is for them to turn and repent. And Jesus is talking about giving Israel time to respond, time to hear God's word, to hear again of his mercy and his forgiveness, of course, seen through Jesus himself, and to give them that opportunity, like the dying tree. Will they respond? Will they turn to health and life again? But he applies it not just to the nation, but also to people individually. What about you all? You all have an extended time where you can allow the word of God to sink down into your roots. You can allow the manure of what is healthy to sink down into your roots and to transform you 
you can take time to repent and get right before God because either at the end of your life, it, you, there will, you will die. There will be an end. And you can choose either to have come to God or have ignored him. Three things I want to point out about this. The first, the first thing, again, it's, it's kind of a weird story, right? And then it, it just ends. It just ends with the, if, if they don't bear anything, you can cut it down and just shifts gears to the next scene. So it's just kind of plopped here, right in the middle. The first thing I want to point out about this is that God is gracious and patient with us. He gives us opportunities to turn from sin and to repent of evil and to respond to his grace and his love and, and to give our lives to him and to follow him. We think of John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But the second thing to point out is that as much as God is patient, that patience should not be presumed upon. Jesus tells the disciples, now is the opportunity to repent. Because you don't know when your life might end. The people who were killed by Pilate didn't know that day it was coming. The people on whom this tower fell, they didn't know. It was not because it, it happened. It didn't happen because they were worse and you were somehow better. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so repent and make things right in your life because you don't know when it might end. And so make that, make, make that choice. God is patient, but not to be presumed upon. That judgment will come. And what will you do then? Just as there is opportunity now in your own life, hearing the word even this morning, we have that choice to repent and to come to Jesus. And unless we repent, says, says Jesus in this passage, you will all likewise perish. But the third thing I want to point out, if God is patient and God loves us, and secondly, that uh, God's grace, however, is not to be presumed upon, there's an extended time to, to turn to him, but that time isn't unlimited. At some point, we will pass away. The third thing is that forgiveness really is possible. It really is possible. You may think, I'm too far gone. My roots can't take any manure. Right? I just, I resist it. Right? My heart's not open to that. You may think, God wouldn't love me. I failed too many times. Why would God care about me? Why would he choose me? Why, does, why, does, why would he like me? I don't even like myself. But we need to hear the promise that God's love and his grace at the cross are greater than our sins or our feelings about ourselves. I was talking to Will last night, tucking him into bed. He said, why does God love me? I said, well, God, God loves you because you're his, you're his son. He loves you. He made you. He goes, I'm not a son. I am a boy. I said, okay. God loves you. You're his boy. Yeah. No, I am Willem Gray. Willem Gray Amodio. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And you're a boy. And you're a son. Yeah. I said, well, God loves people. He goes, I'm not people. I am Willem. Okay, buddy. 
He was also trying to stall because we're going to bed, right? So it's, the other night he asked, are we real? So, you know, this is the time for deep theological questions between lullabies. Are we real? Yes, we're real. Go to sleep. You know. The truth of God's word is that forgiveness is possible. We can repent and we can have a changed heart, just like the water and the manure work in that tree. Each of us, like trees, can respond to the word of God planted in us. So the question is really, will we let God's word kind of work down into our hearts and to shape and to transform us so that we do bear fruit? So we are like fig trees that bear fruit, right? And so that we have repented and we have turned to Jesus so that when the end comes, we don't face that with fear. We don't need to face that with, with terror because we know we are held in the hand of the one who loves us, who, will, who has gone through death and out the other end and will see us through death and out the other end as well. But Jesus says, look at those tragedies in your life and then realize it's not because those people were somehow worse. We're all, we're all sinners. All of you are sinners, fallen short from the glory of God. But God's word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That was the main thing that really that the, that the text is about that really struck me in this passage. Jesus calling, calling all of them to repent and to believe in this extended time that he gives Israel to bear fruit. And, and then that call, of course, to each of us, will we repent of our sins and come to Jesus today? But then I had this second thought, and, I, and I'll wrap up with this thought before we come to the table. The second thought has to do with the manure itself, and it speaks about our attitudes and it speaks about God's patience. Because so often, and in this case it illustrates it, the, the reaction to the unbearing fruit tree is what? Cut it down. Get rid of that thing. And so often when we come across someone we don't like or some situation we don't like, what's our reaction? Cut that thing down get rid of that person. I don't like them. Something happening in church we don't right, like, right? Let's get rid of it. There's a person that's, aff that's offended me. Let's unfriend them. Right? We'll block them. Gone. There's a political figure I don't like. Let's smear them. And all through history, we've seen that effect. A nation doesn't like another nation. What do we do? Chop it down. In history, killing, killing someone's the easiest way to shape the world into your own image. Just get rid of them. It's quick. It's easy. It's efficient kind of problem solving. But the manure story interrupts all of that. And where we can be quick to uproot or to tear up or to chop down, the manure story says, wait, hold on. Give this thing more time. Put manure on this thing. See, putting manure on things is not a quick fix. It's not a microwave, right? It doesn't yield instant results. You have to put the manure on, and then you have to, you have to wait. It takes time to make a difference. Chopping a tree down is easy. Now the tree's gone. But tending to it to bring about a change is difficult. See, lecturing someone is easy. 
But listening, listening takes grace. And spreading manure is not glorious work. It's not dramatic work. But like small, subtle things in other Jesus parables, like yeast and salt and mustard seeds, manure has this slow, unseen effect in the world. And see, to the world, manure is just garbage. Right? Get it out of here. It stinks. It's smelly. We don't like seeing it. But any gardener will tell you that manure is actually far from garbage, right? It's full of life. It's full of enzymes and microorganisms that bring dead things back to life. And so manure is actually the stuff of resurrection. And rather than just chopping trees down, we're called to obey and follow a Savior who says, let's put manure on this thing and let's take the time to let it be transformed. Let's take the time to let it be sanctified. We can be in a really big hurry, but manure pictures God's patience. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You think there's that person who's been far from God for years and years and years. Are they ever going to turn to God? We've been praying for them for years and years, and God has let that manure just settle down into the roots. God hasn't just cut that person down. God's waiting for them to be transformed, for them to repent and to believe. He's waiting for that manure to revive the dying plant. See, God acts, but God is also good at waiting. And the manure story reminds us that God is at work with his salvation promises in our lives and in our world, but sometimes it takes a little longer than we expect or we like. And sometimes the changes we want to see in ourselves take a little longer than we expect or we like. But God is patient. See, when Jesus gets to Jerusalem at the end of his journey, what are his accusers going to do? They're going to say, crucify him. Chop him down. He's taking up ground. He's taking up space. We don't like him. Jesus replies with, Father, forgive them, so that even at the end, when his enemies are choosing violence, the quick and easy way, Jesus is applying manure. He's seeking to revive the roots of even his enemies' hearts, asking the Father to forgive them, calling them to repent before they perish. And as Jesus dies, we get new life springing forth from the empty grave and into the hearts of all those who follow him. Resurrection. And so the passage calls us to repent, not to just sit in your sins, to repent. We don't know when the end might come. And so Jesus says, turn to me. You're not going to live forever. One day you will stand before the Lord. And I don't know about you, but on that day I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
But this passage also calls us not just to think about the future and getting our hearts straight with the Lord, but also to think about the present, that God is at work, and sometimes it's in unseen ways, patiently bringing about his purposes. And so we're called to join him in that work, and that means being the church and being a disciple of Jesus isn't always glamorous. It's about getting down in the mud with the manure and applying it to bring life. It's the slow, messy work of living out the gospel in our daily lives. And seeing how God is working manure into the ground around the roots of our hearts allows us to realize that we can bear fruit for him and to transform us slowly and daily from unproductive trees into life-giving, fruit-bearing trees that resemble him. So let's pray to that end today, that as we come to the table, we too would be quick to repent of our sins, setting our hearts right before the Lord, but also remembering that as God applies manure, he is about that slow, transformative work in us, where we can want quick and immediate results. We can trust instead that God has a good thing going, that God is a gardener, not just a microwaver. And he's at work in us, bringing about his purposes. So let's pray to that end. Lord, we thank you this morning that you speak through the tragedies and brokenness in our lives and call us to consider our own destiny before you. And Lord, we pray that this morning for each one who's heard this word, Jesus' words are really clear in this passage, that he calls us to repent of our sins. That means to not just say sorry. It's not just an emotion, repentance. It's a decision to live a different life, to, to make a 180-degree difference. We've been walking apart from you, and now, God, you call us to turn and come back to you and to make you the Lord of our lives. And so, Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never repented of their sins, that today, Lord, you would speak into their hearts and if you're here today, even as we pray and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here today and you want to respond to Jesus, respond to that call to repent, I'm going to pray a prayer. and You can pray it after me in your heart. And maybe you're here today and, and you feel like, uh, I've been following Jesus, but there's stuff in my life I need to repent of. Jesus was calling his disciples to repent of stuff that was going on in their lives. We used to love work that God's doing in us. So maybe today you, you need to be reminded and maybe rededicate your life to the Lord again. And that's as simple as, as saying, Dear Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. And I repent today of all of the ways that I have not followed you. And I pray, Lord, that you would come and take a hold of my life, that you would transform me and forgive me. I want to make you my Lord and my Savior. I want to follow you. I repent of my sins, and I choose you today, Jesus. Would you come and transform me and fill me with your Spirit and make me part of your family? In your name, amen.